This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's the worst up the right sideline. Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football, a show that is willing to bet the UTSA scored more points yesterday than the Spurs will have wins this upcoming season. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. <laughs> Sitting across me via Zoom after a first official week one is Mike Craven. Mike, what's up, man? Doing pretty good. Trying to come down from uh, that game yesterday. Got uh, got pretty exciting late. Yeah, you chose a hell of a game to go to. And somebody that was with you there is everyone's favorite Mal Pal, Mallory Hartley. Mallory, what's up? Hey, good to be here. That had I think that was the best game in the entire country this week. Had to be the best. I mean, there's no arguments there. No arguments there. I I think it was telling that, you know, we always rip Conference USA for like weird TV deals and like UTSA Mm -hmm. being like on like weird, having to be on weird channels despite being one of the best stories. And I think it was telling that like, despite it being on CBS Sports Network, that like so many people are watching that because on Twitter, you just kept seeing people talking about it. And I think that was pretty telling that people just found a way to watch that game. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, yeah. So we're just going to get right into it. Uh, for those of you that don't remember the way these shows work, we're going to run through every single game, all 12 FBS teams. And basically off the top, we're going to go with the top games, obviously. So we'll hit UTSA uh, Houston right away. But then after that, we'll go reverse powerful order. I'm just going to tell you right now, we'll talk Houston, UTSA, SMU, North Texas, Texas A&M, Sam Houston, and then we'll go reverse powerful from there. But we hinted at it let's just talk about it double overtime triple overtime i'm forgetting what triple overtime yeah uh Uh houston 37 utsa 35 it's gonna sound cliche for me because i feel like this is a, a adage used a lot but it really was a tale of two halves because utsa came out and punched houston right in the mouth houston looked like a team in the first half that did not expect utsa to match with them physically and then UTSA just was right there with them. Second half, it looked like Houston finally woke up. They controlled about 90% of the second half. And then what happened? UTSA did the UTSA thing where they made the right plays at the right time late. Houston goes up a field goal with seemingly no time for UTSA. Frank Harris just absolutely drives his way down the field, hits two crazy passes over the middle. They kick a field goal, go to overtime. Frank Harris makes one of the best plays you'll see in this sport uh, in double overtime to send it to third. And of course we do that weird penalty kick basically thing where they just (laughs) have a ball from the goal line uh, and try to score. And then we're basically a Clayton Toon somersault away from UTSA upsetting a ranked team in the Alamo. (laughs) Mike, you were there. What, What was your biggest takeaway from that game yesterday? Honestly, for me, my biggest takeaway was both of those quarterbacks are bona fide. You know, like Frank Harris was awesome all day long. He had 337 passing yards, three touchdowns. He had 63 rushing yards, which led the team in a touchdown. So, you know, nearly 400 yards of offense, four touchdowns. The one interception, he was kind of hit as he was thrown. That was kind of a freakish thing. It's not like he made a bad decision. And then Clayton Toon, like he had a bad first half. They could not get anything going on. Like they had 59 passing yards well into the third quarter, you know, uh, no, no pass over 12 yards in the first half. UTSA had a tremendous game plan uh, to keep Clayton Toon and Nathaniel Dell in check. And Clayton Toon just decided, look, maybe I can't throw the ball downfield, but I can still win this football game. And he used his legs. He's not as athletic as a Frank Harris, but he's athletic enough. You know, they were, they were calling quarterback draws left and right. He was scrambling out to the right side, scrambling out to the left side, making plays. And that's what you need. Like, this is the same guy that threw four interceptions in week one last year and gave up a 21 to seven halftime lead uh, to Texas Tech. You flash forward a year later and Clayton Toon's only thrown four interceptions in his last 12 regular season games. Right. Mm -hmm. So like 
his maturation, his maturity, his experience, and his ability to take care of the football, even during a not-so-great performance yesterday, is the difference between Houston being an average G5 program that they've been under Dana Holgerson and then the G5 contender program they've been for the last 13 games. And that's all Clayton Toon. Uh, that defense is really good, obviously. Uh, but for me, the storyline yesterday was Clayton Toon doesn't have to play a perfect game to win a football game. And that's mm -hmm. a big deal for this Houston team because they're going to try to go 12-0 and this regular season. And to do that, you got to win a couple games where you're not playing at your best. Yesterday, Houston won a game where they weren't playing at their best. I think that's a great sign for the Cougars. And if you're a UTSA fan, like I've seen a lot of like hand wringing and like, oh, we didn't make adjustments. How did we let Clayton mm -hmm. stop? Just everybody stop. Like yesterday, UTSA played a ranked team and arguably the best G5 mm -hmm. program in this country that's about to be a Big 12 program. They were up 21 to seven in the fourth quarter, overcame a late field goal with 29 seconds left to send in an overtime and lost in penalty kicks like you talked about. Like that was a tremendous performance. There wasn't a loser yesterday. That's exactly what college football is, right? And that was just, it was awesome. It was, it was a, you know, you sit there in the press box and I think Mallory and I both, it was, it was a reminder of why we do this, right? Like it was everything that is awesome about college football. It was a, it was a really cool thing to be a part of yesterday. And that Alamo Dome was just packed too. I think the total number of attendance was close to 37,000 people there. But I mean, you could tell it was so loud. I was down on the, the sidelines for the last, I think, I think I, I was down there for the whole overtime. Um, but it was just crazy loud in there. Those UTSA fans really showed up. Yeah. I think one of the things that really stood out to me was we knew um, uh, uh, more so for UTSA. Um, I think in part, as far as season's concerned, we talked, we talked about Nathaniel Dell all off season. We talked about obviously Clayton Toon and, and Tanner Mordecai, which one's better. And I think that it kind of came down to those two guys in the end. Because Nathaniel Dell, what I'll give UTSA full credit. Their secondary did a fantastic job on the Houston receivers, I thought. You know, like you mentioned, Clayton Toon had like 50 yards for basically the whole game. And Nathaniel Dell only had five receptions, but two of those were touchdowns. It was just, it just happened to be, he happened to find himself free for a couple of things. I think he only had a longest catch of 11 yards or something. Like it came down to like the playmaker found a way to get open and make a play. And credit to the Houston defense as well for holding UTSA for mo basically that entire second half after they had more or less, again, torched them in the first half. Uh, but I do want to get on UTSA for you put out a feature about their receivers, their receiving core. I don't know how much more of a showcase you could have had for those guys because obviously Frank Harris was incredible, but that one run from Josh Cephas over the middle, just like crossing through the entire field for like 50 yards just burning an athletic secondary, right? And then you had Zachary Franklin was lead, led the team in catches, uh, 10 catches for 100 yards. And then DeCorey and Clark, that catch in overtime, right? Like the Frank Harris leaking out, somehow getting away, and then just finding DeCorey and Clark right there somewhere. I don't know how he found that. I don't know if you guys saw the, the replay on TV. There was no way you saw that and thought he caught that ball, right? It just, he fit it into a tight window. Clark presented himself for like a second and just happened to be there. I don't know. It, it was on TV. It looked like one of those like deceptive, like, I don't know. The ball was like incomplete or like we missed an interception or something, you know, like it just looked like he, uh, Frank Harris made a mistake or something. And I don't know, both all three of those guys, obviously Frank Harris was incredible as well. He had a rushing touchdown to go along with that. He was their leading rusher, but that receiving core was stellar all day against a really good, really, really good Houston secondary we can go way more into this, into this game. There's so much that happened. Um, but I think overall, I think you came away impressed with both teams, UTSA obviously playing out of their mind. And then Houston, like, like Craven mentioned, not playing well, still coming out with a win. That is a sign of a, of a really good team. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think this is, so, I don't, obviously for UTSA, you're disappointed. There's some moments you probably wish you could add back, but I don't know how you can watch that and not be satisfied with where the state of the program currently is. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Oh, boy. Uh, North Texas played a team that was not UTEP, and it went about that way. SMU 48, North Texas 10. May I remind you that this will be a conference game next year. Okay. Um, 
Hmm. Uh, where does anybody want to start here? Oh, actually, I'll start right here. Red Lashley's offense is fun as hell. Yeah. <laughs> they know how to score and put up points and move the ball. And it looked like Red Lash. It looked like, you know, what he was. It looked like he'd ran this offense there before, which he has. Uh, Tanner Mordecai finished 23-32, 432 through the air, four touchdowns, no picks. Basically making cookies and coffee in the backfield. Like, no, there was nothing that really bothered him. Uh, Rasheed Rice had eight catches, 166. Yeah, uh, man, Mike, what, what was your takeaway from this game? So for me, it's the passing game, right? Like they both mm -hmm. attempted 34 passes. Like SMU, mm -hmm. North Texas threw the ball the exact same amount of times. SMU, 426 passing yards. North Texas, 220. So that means that SMU was averaging 12.5 yards an attempt. SMU, six or SMU 12.5 yards an attempt. North Texas, 6.5. That's it. That's everything, you know, right there. Like one's an explosive offense, one isn't. And we talked last week of, you know, was Austin Ani in that North Texas performance? Was that North Texas turning a corner or was that North Texas just always playing well against UTEP? A yeah. week later, it feels like it was just North Texas playing well against UTEP. Now, they got 10 more games to kind of prove that theory wrong and, and we'll see where the, where the chips lie. Uh, but we always overreact after the first game of the year. I think we overreacted to North Texas and you know, we're going to have to do that same thing with SMU, right? Kind of temper expectations. SMU is probably not as good as they played on Saturday, but they played excellently. You know, that was a, a complete performance from the offense, from the defense. And in your first game as a head coach, you know, to have your team that ready, that prepared to not play that sloppy. There weren't a lot of penalties. There weren't a lot of turnovers. Um, just really impressed with SMU and that offense looks fine. I can tell you this, that offense looked better than TCU offense, you know? And so uh, I think SMU fans have to be pretty excited about what Tanner Mordecai, Rasheed Rice in that passing game um, can do this year. And if they get Kamar Wheaton in that running game to kind of get up to speed in, in a month or so, like good They're luck. Be deadly. That's going to be a tough, tough offense to stop on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're UNT, I think the worst thing that happened early on was I think it was the second drive. They had a first and 15. Asnani hits a really nice pass for first down. SMU strips it, fumbles, they recover, and then they go down and score, right? And so all of a sudden, you're out of your rhythm of the game. You're only down one – you were down one score, now you're down two. You're probably having to chase the game and throw more. You know, we talked about play calling last year when it came to North Texas being more of a, a, a better running team than they are a passing team last year. And you have to throw a little bit more with Austin on him than I think you want to, maybe having to take more risks than you did last year um, or than you wanted to. And yeah, because they ran the ball, UT, uh, UNT ran the ball fine, right? Oscar Attaway had 20 carries for 117 yards. A day he had 10, uh, 42 yards on, on 10 carries, right? They ran the ball fine. But I think situationally, they put themselves in position to where they're chasing a game. They're having to get in the track meet with a team that's, that wants to be in a track meet. And that's not where you want to be because SMU can just get vertical, like straight up. That was, that's the biggest difference, I think, between this SMU. The biggest difference we're going to see this year between this and last year's SMU teams is this team is absolutely, Red Lashley absolutely wants to get more vertical than probably Sonny Dykes did last year. Uh, Sonny Dykes is more than happy to hit you between the hashes, hit you, you know, kind of chip you and then hit you over the top. Red Lashley straight up saying, let's go. I will get up and down and vertical right away. And also, I think the other thing that I saw this year was the screen game. I thought <laughs> SNU's screen game was excellent. And I think that's another wrinkle that Red Lashley is going to depend on very well uh, the wide receiver screens were very very efficient for them so yeah I wonder yeah I wonder what happens in that game it probably obviously still goes SMU's way but going down 14 nothing early and then completely having to scrap your game plan if you're UT if you're UNT I think just completely took them out of the element and then made them turn into a team that they didn't want to really be in my opinion my concern if you're UNT is that if you said it, this is a future conference game you know, this is UNT's worst loss to SMU since 1941. And the only other time that UNT has lost by 30 was 
two years ago when they played SMU. So it's just yeah. not a good look for a future conference. I mean, and what does it say about head coach Seth Luttrell too? I mean, where do you move forward with him? You know, like he, has, he, mm-hmm. he hasn't gotten close. No. He hasn't gotten close to, to, to a crosstown rival, right? No. Like that's, we can talk about, you know, the post pre and post Mason fine era and all that stuff. I think overall for better and worse, right. Even including the, the, the eight win year, all that stuff. You can boil it down to how he never got close to SMU. <laughs> right. Like, right. And until at this point, it really didn't matter because you're just on right. a different level conference USA in the American conference. But now since yep. you're going to be competing for the same exact guys in the same exact area in the same exact conference, I mean, what do you do? 20, yeah, I think they beat him in 2018. They beat him in 2018, yes. and that was it, right? But that was that the, was also a weird SMU year where you're like, oh, SMU's just not done. very good. It was very clear, like, you know, uh, UNT was in the middle of their apex, and SMU was, like, very much in the middle of a come down. I think it was Sunny Dyke's first year, I think. Yes. Um, Latrell so, like, is sure. one in six against SMU. Right. But, yeah, that, that more or less – summarizes a lot of what this program is for better and worse right we've seen the highs under Seth Latra and we've seen the hurdle that he just seen can't seem to get over yeah all right our last game off the top we have Texas A&M 31 Sam Houston zero uh, I think if you would have talked to an A&M fan in the first half they'd be wondering what Max Johnson and Connor Wigman are up to <laughs> Um, more importantly, I think they'd be wondering what Bryce Foster was up to because that offensive line was not good. Um, and I don't think they really got much better about the game, but Haynes King settled in. He finished 20 of 31, 364, three touchdowns, two picks. Particularly, I think the passes over the middle were what I think concerned some people. He really kind of hung a few up there and kind of gave, kind of let Sam Houston like awkwardly hang around for a little bit. I believe it was. Was it seven nothing at the half or ten nothing at the half or something? Fourteen? I couldn't remember. But uh, regardless, it was a little too close for AM's preferences. Uh, we talked about how this is a good test. Obviously, a game that AM should win, but also a team that wouldn't lie down and quit. So I think overall, defense was fine, right? Defense did not let Sam Houston get into it. I think Sam Houston has some questions on offense of their own. I think you'll ask anybody who's uh, who's covering FCS football, they'll tell you that that is kind of the the thing that Sam Houston has to work out, but AM didn't give them much of a chance defensively, which is what we kind of thought, right? We knew SMU was, uh, we knew Sam Houston wasn't going to have much of a chance versus that defense. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think if you're Sam Houston's defense versus AM's offense, about 70% of that game, you're feeling pretty good, right? Bryce, uh, BJ Foster came up with a pick, but then also late in the game, Haynes King kind of got going a little bit. Maybe you maybe wanted to see a little bit more Devon Chain uh, getting going, but you know it is what it was. Anaya Smith looked fantastic, six catches for one sixty four, two touchdowns. You know, uh, Evan Stewart five fifty seven. Craven, was there anything really you took from this game? Uh, I think it's important to remember with Haynes that he's only played about five quarters of football since winning a state championship at Longview. You know, and so like. He hasn't played a lot of football over the last couple of years with the red shirt year, his first year, and then, you know, getting injured in, in week two last year. Um, he just hasn't played a lot of football. You can tell the rust was there. I mean, there was a couple of throws where he either didn't see the safety, didn't think to look for the safety, or, or didn't much care that a safety was there, you know? So, like, one of those three things is true. He needs to get that uh, figured out. That was kind of a problem with him in that Kent State early in that Colorado game last year was just kind of reading defenses and knowing where safeties are going to be, where they're going to roll coverage. So he's going to have to clean that out. And I would imagine game time and experience is really the only way that you can kind of get, get used to that stuff. That, that A&M offensive line is concerning though. I mean, maybe if Bryce Foster gets back, I'm hearing mono, I think is what they said Bryce Foster has. Mm-hmm. So like, who knows if that's, you know, a couple more weeks or a month, you know, like who, right. who knows what something like mono. Um, but they definitely did not look like a dominant force. Sam Houston's defensive line is pretty good, uh, but Texas A&M should bully them a little bit more. They're going to see better defensive lines, obviously, in the SEC, so they're going to have to get that figured out. That A&M defense, though, like, I think it's fair for us to start calling them the wrecking crew again. Like, that secondary is like a wet blanket. Like, there's not, there's not, a, there's not a, like a, an easy guy to go. You can't attack one dude in A&M secondary. Like, they're all future NFL guys, even the young guys. 
that are just still trying to figure it out or future NFL dudes. That front defensive line, like they're still babies and they're still, you know, like there's still a lot they need to figure out, but man, they're good. Like they are super talented. Like you can just see it. Um, they're going to be really good. I think a is going to be a team that's better in late October than they are right now. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if, if Haynes can kind of figure it out, get into a rhythm and that kind of stuff. You know, yesterday is kind of a, a preseason warm-up game for A&M. And as long as they came out of there uh, relatively healthy, I think that's a win for the Aggies. Because you kind of want coaching stuff, right? You probably don't want to win 63-0 to yesterday. And A&M think that they're on top of the world, ranked sixth in, in the, the preseason polls and stuff. I think yesterday kind of shows where A&M is. And that's a really talented team, but with a lot of way, long ways to go offensively before they're a national title contender. Yeah. I think if you're – Oh, I do want to throw a little bit to St. Houston because I think, you know, I, what I saw from Jordan Yates yesterday, I was kind of promi- – I was uh, to me it was promising. Um, he went against, like you mentioned, one of the best defenses in the, in the country. And he was kind of their only consistent weapon, right? And so his legs, he was able to kind of get out of the pocket a little bit, had a couple nice runs. Obviously, he's going to struggle throwing the ball against that secondary. I thought he did fine. Like, if, if, that's, if that's the first test he has this season, I think everything else is going to be downhill for him. So – I do want to give a little bit of credit to, to Sam Houston's offense for finding some little things here and there. And I think Jordan Yates is somebody to watch going forward now that he doesn't have to play Texas A&M uh, in week one. Yeah, I mean, it's only so, going to get easier for him. You know, like that, that's, as, that's as hard as it's going to get for, for Sam Houston. That offensive line is not going to face a defensive line like that again. That defense isn't going to play, face skill position guys. Uh, they're not going to see another Aeneas Smith, right? You know, right, maybe right. Gibson at SFA's as close as you get. So uh, Devon A chains don't grow on trees, you know. And so I think for Sam, you kind of look at yesterday as a, you know, it got you a money game. It got you on TV. You came out of there pretty healthy. You know, that's, that's a victory for Casey Keeler and those guys. Yep. A game that I did not watch a single second of. Uh, we are now in the bottom. We are now in the power pole portion of our show. USC 66, Rice 14. USC looked great. Um, <laughs> uh, First quarter was I hope, great. I, I I hope Rice enjoyed the trip out to LA. Let's just let's just say that. Hey, they went tied. They went tied at seven <laughs> going into the second quarter. So it was tied at one point in this game, and then it was Lincoln Riley remembered he's the best offensive coach in this country. <laughs> yeah, I mean for Rice, the the concern is quarterback. You know, like nobody knew that they were going to go in there and win. Nobody thought they were going to go in there and win that game. You know, right. but Wiley Green in uh, gets injured and leaves with you know a, something that looked like a shoulder injury. Uh, Matthew Bartlett at the Roost, our guy uh, there covering Rice, told me that that is the fifth quarterback that has left a game for Rice in the last ten games. Oh, you know, and like, how do you build any offensive consistency when you can't keep a quarterback healthy? Um, yeah. And so T.J. McMahon came in there and did not look good. He threw three interceptions. He got sacked four times. Like. There's a reason Wiley Green was picked as the starting quarterback going forward. This out-of-conference schedule is really hard for Rice. Getting to six wins seems nearly impossible for Rice. Healthy, right? Like, it's going to be super-duper hard to get there with their backup quarterback. And with those guys kind of going in and out of the lineup again. You know, last year, they kind of thought that was going to be, like, just an admiration. You know, like, we can't, we can't get injured as much as we did last year. That's got to be bad luck. This year, it's going to even out a little bit. And then a half of football gets played, and you're already down your starting quarterback again in week one against USC. So uh, hopefully that Wiley Green injury is not too much. He doesn't have to miss too much time, because uh, if so, it's hard to see the Owls kind of recovering from this and get to that six-win mark uh, with T.J. McMahon at quarterback based on what we saw yesterday. Yep. Not much else to talk about there, so we're not going to. Uh, oh, another one. Oh, geez, there's probably not much to talk about this one either. Texas State, all right, Nevada 38, Texas State 14. Um, obviously, I watched way too much of this game. It just felt samey to me. Um, first half was solid, could have been worse, but second half, floodgates open. Lane Hatcher, I don't know. He forced a lot of throws. His second pick was just – it was a pick six, and it was absolutely awful. He did not see two defenders in the way, tried to hit somebody along the sidelines and just – I don't know if he didn't see them or just massively underthrew his target. Regardless, that was the official nail in the coffin. It's a tale as old as time, right? Looked good in the, looked decent in the first half and then just absolutely 
collapse in the second half with no depth, no sign of kind of a second half fight, really. Um, I do wonder if they weren't running the ball enough compared to what we saw last year with the moderate success they had on the ground. I don't know. Um, that wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Texas State into the game with more first downs, more yards, more plays ran. They also allowed four sacks, committed four turnovers, and were penalized ten times. That's, yeah. that's, co- that's coaching, right? The mm-hmm. penalties and the turnovers and the sloppy play, you know, that, that kind of stuff falls on the coaching staff. Like, it just does, you know? And I know when you have a lot of transfers and you have a lot of roster turnover, you know, there's a reason the NFL has preseason games because of that same reason. They're bringing in so many new faces. You got to figure it out. You got to play together. You got to gel. Um, you know, Nevada really struggled in week zero when they played against New Mexico State. So I think them playing a game really helped them. Uh, but it's 14-7 at halftime. It's right there in front of you. At least go show some fight and play well in the second half. And even if you lose, you, you do some things that, like, brings momentum back home against FIU next week. Instead, you just commit all of these penalties. You commit all these boneheaded turnovers. You fumble the ball a couple times. And you go back to San Marcos, and it's like, what's the bright spot? You know, like, mm-hmm. what, what's the thing you can tell the team to keep them engaged and to keep them from going, ah, oh, here we go again? I don't know what it is, you know, and, and so Spavadol is going to have to really rally this team against FIU. You start out 0-2, and, and it, it's going to get pretty ugly in San Marcos in terms of just perception and noise around the program. Uh, they really need a win in, in week two just based off how that performance was in week one because it was really, really bad. Yeah, you mentioned it. Um, 14-7 at half, and then Nevada scores 24 unanswered in the third quarter, and there's the game right there. So not much to talk about with that one. We're on a roll here. Not much to talk about this one either. Oklahoma 45, UTEP 13. Another one where I don't know what we expected necessarily. Um, Oklahoma looked good. <laughs> we know what Brett Venables is now. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, like, hey, look, they Oklahoma's look still pretty good. What do you know? <laughs> I know. You know, I honestly think UTEP walks out of this game against Oklahoma feeling a lot better than they did going into the game against Oklahoma mm-hmm. like they were always going to lose by 30 something points right uh but they got 28 first downs they scored 13 points you know they passed the ball pretty effectively it's not like Oklahoma just raced up and down the mm-hmm. field on the defense did some okay things um they did get beat up a little bit and that was the concern right they had a couple guys leave the game with injuries specifically on the defensive side of the ball a couple offensive linemen look nicked up you know, when you play a team like Oklahoma, that's always a concern, especially after you played a conference game against a pretty physical North Texas team the week before. Uh, but I thought UTEP did a good job of not just laying down. You know, the worry is you come off a 31 to 13 loss at home against North Texas in a sold out Sun Bowl that you're just so deflated and so kind of just not over that game in week zero. You come and you just get beat 63 to zero, and it's like, oh man, what happened to UTEP? Now, I yeah. thought they played fine. You know, I, I thought it was, you know, I thought, you know, what they did was, you know, what they were expected to do, maybe even a little bit better. So I think if you're data demo, you go, okay, well, my team didn't quit on me. We showed mm-hmm. up and we played four quarters and we got some guys we can roll in uh, to next week. Kind of like Texas State, you know, week two becomes super important for UTEP because they play New Mexico State at home. That's a future conference USA team. And if they don't rebound and get a win there, you know, the wheels really fall off. So you know, I thought it was a decent bounce back effort for UTEP, all things considering. Yeah, I think one of the – I think Oklahoma was up 21 nothing, And then UTEP put together about two good drives before the half. They scored a field goal, and then and then they drove the ball pretty decently down the field to end the half. Um, obviously, the game got away after that. But I thought that response, right, 21 nothing on the road, put together – they, they stopped Oklahoma on offense, and then they put together two scoring drives just before the half. That's something, right? It's way more – it's disappointing that it came after you guys sell out your home stadium and after you play a conference opponent, but I think it's the right response and we'll kind of look at them going forward more interestingly. Along that line, do you see Jacob Cowling's stat line for Arizona? Yeah. Incredible. 152, three touchdowns. That dude is NFL. He is absolutely NFL. Um, I saw a lot, of, a lot of UTEP and El Paso reporters tweeting about that. So it's uh, happy for him. He's back home um, after doing something pretty special for the minors, and he's probably going to be an All-American this year. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, moving on in the power pole, 
All right, let's have some fun. Texas Tech, Jesus Christ, 63, Murray State 10. That offense was fun. Like, again, we didn't expect Murray State to be much for Texas Tech, but we were just wondering what that offense would look like. The only disappointing thing if you're Tech is Tyler Shuck looks like he did pick up another injury. I believe he ended the game in a sling. Donovan Smith finished. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me. I'll have to find them. Um, but anyway, yeah, what did, Mike, what did you see from that game just as far as Zach Kidley's debut on offense? And then Joey McGuire's, of course, just overall on the sideline. So here, are you ready for this? Passing as a team, yeah. Texas Tech, 27 of 36, 472 yards, five touchdowns. Welcome to the Zach Kidley area, era. It's beautiful. We love it. We can't wait to watch it more. You know, like, yeah. you know, all camp, Joey McGuire was like, we have three quarterbacks. Like, they're yeah. all pretty good. And, you know, it's not just like one guy's way up here and the other guys are down here and we're pretending to have a quarterback battle. It was a legit quarterback battle. Tyler Shuck gets injured. You know, unfortunately, I mean, it's just such bad luck. I mean, he came down really bad on the shoulder. They don't know if it's a collarbone or an AC joint yet. They'll probably figure that mm. out more uh, today and stuff like that. But uh, uh, an unfortunate kind of freak thing for him. But Donovan Smith comes in and goes 14 of 16 for 221 yards and three touchdowns. Averages 4.5 yards on, on two carries, right? Because he's like 250-pound Mack truck or whatever. Like, the dude can yeah. play. Like, I was there against that Iowa State team last year where they won on that long field goal or whatever. Like, and he kind of had a coming-out party in that game. Like, I've always been a Donovan Smith fan since that day. He played really well. And, and what's nice about the Kitley offense is he doesn't ask you to do anything you can't do. Sure. And, you know, that, that's the most intelligent thing about that offense. It's not, it's not this wild, crazy offense with all these crazy plays and stuff like that. It's kind of leechian. And, like, here are the ten things that you do really well. Here are the routes that you throw tremendously. Just throw those. Don't throw any else, anything else, right? So it, it was just fun to kind of see Texas Tech back to the old Texas Tech of just blowing teams out, scoring 60-something points, and 500 yards of passing offense. Like, if that's what we get from Texas Tech every week, I'm there, right? That's that's mm -hmm. much that's much watch TV. Happy for Joey McGuire and that group. The defense looked pretty well. Now Murray State's not an awful team. You know, that's right. a pretty, pretty decent, solid team, right? As, as far as FCS teams go, kind of like Sam Houston, right? Like there's they're a good team. It's hard to play against. Um, you know, I thought Texas Tech was super impressive. That's what I watched in the hotel room when I got back last night. Um, and yeah, they have, that offense is going to be fun to watch every single week. Texas Tech Houston next week going to be awesome going to be a lot of fun. i have no idea what to expect in that game um i will say this was one that kind of i thought it would, this would be a game where we did see more of the running game because it would be a blowout right joey mcguire was like all right let's get the running backs going you know things like that i think it is pretty telling that he let zach kidley cook i mean they yeah, still I mean, they still they still had three touchdowns on the ground too all of which true. were from todd yeah. brooks so they did run the ball a little bit but Probably not as much as Joe McGuire would like to see. Sure. Well, and that passing game becomes the running game. Yeah. You know, right. like, it's, uh, yes. you know, out of those 36 passes, about eight of them were run. You know, like mm -hmm. little little you know, jet sweep type things or just bubble screens outside, quick little hit and stuff. Like that becomes a, a running game. So uh, they averaged 4.6 yards a rush. Uh, I think it's just one of those things where they knew they could out-talent uh, Murray State on the outside, took advantage of, of the of what they could. And then I think once Donovan Smith came in, they wanted to give him some confidence. Yeah. Like, if he's going to be our guy for the next couple weeks, month, however long Tyler shuts out with his injury, let's build him some confidence going into Houston. I think that's why he got 16 throws on his own. Yep. Uh, Texas Tech average yards per drive, 46. And they started at their own 37 on average. So. Yeah, I'll take that. I think you'll definitely take that if you're Texas Tech. Hell of a debut. Basically, everything I think we wanted to see from mm -hmm. this offense in their opening game. Moving on to technically the first game this week, TCU 38, Colorado 10. or th Sorry, Colorado 13. Speaking of games, that was a tale of two halves. Um, Jesus, this game was unwatchable in the first half. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, genuinely unwatchable. And then, uh, of course, Chandler Morris got the start. Unfortunately, he went down with an injury. Based on his reaction from the sidelines, it does not look good. Um, he looked like he was pretty devastated. Max Duggan, I guess it helps to have an experienced quarterback like Max Duggan behind because 
listen, he came in and he only threw three passes, but they decided, you know, let's let's flip this offense up. Let's let's see what we can do here. And Garrett Riley turned this into kind of a running offense with the with the the spread option with some you know uh, end arounds things like that. And they ended with thirty. Here's the thing that I love this. They end with thirty carries, and the most is Kendra Miller with eight. <laughs> Everybody ran the ball. Demarcado with five, uh, four. Jackson with three. Bailey with three. Duggan three. Like Chandler Morris before he got hurt had four. Probably some of those were run or were uh, kind of scrambles, but those were designed runs for all of those guys, and they were just trying to find ways to get everybody involved. And that's when the game kind of got out of hand for Colorado. They could not stop the speed on the edges in particular when TCU decided to run the ball. Yeah, I mean, they ran for four touchdowns in the second half. TCU as a team averaged 9.2 yards a carry, you know, mm. so like they were getting it done on the ground. And, and that may be what TCU needs to be this year. Like all offseason, Sonny Dykes has said the strength of that offense is the offensive line. And he yes. really likes how deep that TCU backfield is. They don't have a Zach Evans. But they have three or four guys that can carry the ball 10 or 15 times a game and get it done. So I, I think that running back by committee continues. They really like using the wide receivers in the run game. Darius Davis had a couple really good uh, runs on jet sweeps and stuff like that. It'll be interesting to see how that passing game improves. You know, because Quentin Johnson can't have 22 yards of receiving. Like, he's sure. too talented to not get more targets. Uh, Max Duggan and him have a really good connection. Uh it's kind of like what we talked about with Texas Tech. It's just so unfortunate, right? Like for week one, see a quarterback go out like that. Again, we don't know the status, but you can see the reaction and just being around football, you see a guy react like that. It tends to not just be a twisted ankle where he'll be back next week. That, that tends to, They know their body, right? Like right. athletes know their body. They know when something's wrong. It looks like something's wrong. But as you mentioned, if you're going to lose a quarterback early in the year, it's nice to have a senior with 30-something starts under his belt you know, behind them. So I think TCU is going to be fine from an experience standpoint. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention before I let Mallory talk, you know, they only allowed 3.9 yards to carry. After last year, that's an improvement. Like if they can keep guys, your teams under five yards to carry, I know that's not a great stat either, but if they can keep them under five, that's an improvement uh, last year. I thought the linebackers for TCU looked really good. My concern is still the defensive line. You know, their best player up front is a true freshman who's 17 years old. You know, that's yes. not – that's not great. So they're going to have to figure out uh, the defensive line or at least how to navigate having a porous defensive line to really compete in the Big 12. Uh, but, you know, I thought the second half was good, and sometimes you got to win ugly. Yeah. I think uh, Brett McMurphy tweeted out some positivity. Um, he's reported that Chandler Morris only suffered a, quote, slight tweak for a source. Um, but I know I do also see that Jamie Plunkett from uh, – from a TCU blog, I forgot the name of the blog, but he also said that he will be out for the uh, the next game against Tarleton and could miss up to four weeks. So take some, you know, glass half full, right? It might not be as devastating of any injury as we thought, right? But it looks like he will miss at least some time. Um, so yeah, take, you know, we'll see what actually happens. Obviously those are two reporters kind of reporting different things. So, you know, we'll see what the official story is uh, when when we get the press conference this week. And there's no reason to play him against Tarleton, even if it is a slight tweak, right? Like, right. give him the Tarleton game off. Maybe even give him out of conference games off if he's not sure. 100%, but have him back ready for conference play. I, I think that would be great news for TCU. Yep. And you, like I said, like I mentioned, you have Max Duggan, right? You have a guy who's done it before, who's clearly starter quality that you can rely on. So, uh, moving on, we talked about SMU and North Texas. Those are the two next teams in the power pool. All right, let's do it. Moving on to them, Texas is back to beating teams from Louisiana. 52-10 Just ULM, <laughs> guys. Let's just keep that in mind before we start saying Texas is back. <laughs> uh, Mallory, they did, the, they did the Louisiana two-step. They beat Monroe, uh, Lafayette last year, and they beat Monroe this year. Congratulations, guys. They Congratulations. did it. Look, listen, back. they <laughs> – for a guy that hadn't thrown a pass, a meaningful pass since the Westlake state title game, mm -hmm. you know, he looked pretty Quinn good. Ewers didn't light the field on didn't light the field on fire, right? Which again is what we I kind of expected not mm -hmm. him not to. Again, he hadn't played meaningful games. 16-24, 225, two touchdowns, one interception. 
it was fine. Like, I don't know. He looked fine. Like the, the story to me, if I'm a Texas fan, holy crap, we potentially have a future All-American tight end in Jatavian Sanders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Jatavian Sanders, six catches, 85 yards, one touchdown. I believe somebody said that's the best stat line since Jermichael Finley, which is a while to not have quality tight end play. Um, of course, we found out that Jaleel Billingsley will miss um, about six games this year, I think, because of suspension. So we're going to probably see a lot of Jatavian Sanders getting the ball, which I'm very excited about because, Mike, you know as well as anyone, that is a dude that just knows how to play football, whether he's on the edge in high school or as a tight end or as a wide receiver in high school, whatever. That's an athlete, and they look like they found a way to use him. I'm so happy for Jatavian. Like, his whole recruiting process, he wanted to play on offense. He wanted to play as a tight end, as a flex, you know, as a guy who got the ball in his hands. And every recruiting dork on the on the beat was always trying to make him into a defensive end like Joseph Asai, and he didn't want to do it. And when he redshirted last year and didn't get a lot of playing snaps, I think there was a lot of like, oh, see, he should have been a defensive end. He'd, he'd make more money at defensive end. And then he comes out and has that kind of game yesterday. Uh, with the touchdown, he led the team with 85 yards, uh, receiving six catches. Um, clearly has a really good connection with Quinn Ewers. I, I think he's going to be a, a star. You know, he was uh, yeah. the keep an eye on guy in our magazine and the Texas preview because he's a, he, those guys are five stars for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, like they don't always work out, but they're always super talented. And, and if he was put in the right position, he was going to be successful. He's too much of a freak athlete not to. Um, him, you know, with Isaiah Nayor's injury on the other side of Xavier Worthy, they really needed a third option after Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington. And we were kind of looking at the wide receiver position going, man, who's going to be that third guy? Who's going to be that third guy? I think it's Jatavian Sanders. I think we were, we should have just looked at tight end and said Sanders is going to be that third guy. You had Bajan out of the backfield. Now you got Worthy, Whittington, Sanders, Robinson out of the backfield. Like that's plenty of weapons. Uh, for Quinn Ewers, those other wide receivers will come on as the season goes on, you hope. So, you know, again, it, it is Louisiana Monroe. Texas, you know, has Alabama next week, and we'll learn a lot more about the Longhorns next week than we did this week. But that Quinn looked pretty good for not playing football since he was a junior in high school. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the running game is awesome, right? The offensive line was pretty good. They only allowed one sack. You know, I think that's pretty important considering that they got, you know, it seems like 12 true freshmen in the two deep down there. So, you know, they're going to have to grow up on the fly. But before I go, like, Bajon Robinson, dude, like, I, it, it's a joy. Like, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a pleasure to watch that mm-hmm. guy run the football. It looks like he's skating. Like, he looks yeah. like he's, like, ice skating through defenses, but, like, as a cannonball at the same time. Like, it's just, it's just awesome to watch. Like, we just don't get that many good running backs like that anymore. Uh, just the way football's changed, you just don't see it as much as you used to. But there's nothing more entertaining in football than watching a dominant running back. Like, it's still, it's still true today. Um, and so he's just kind of one of those guys that, like, no matter if Texas is 5-7 and seven or 9-3, and three, you tune in because Bajon Robinson's a special player that we're only going to see play, you know, 11 more regular season games in college football because he's gone after this year. Yeah, that's a good point that you brought up about, like, the type of running back he is because typically when you see the dominating running back now, right, it's the Leonard Fournette, it's the Derrick Henry type, it's the uh, J.K. Dobbins type. The Bajan Robinson, like, overall silky running back, right, that's that's gone, right? That just seems gone. Either they're like a straight line, one-cut guy, or they're a power guy or they're kind of a scat back who can kind of receive out of the backfield and just kind of there to, for a change of pace. It feels like now more often than not a Bajan Robinson type is a receiver, right? It just feels like he's a physical receiver that you just kind of make work like a Jamar chase type, right? Where you're just like, man, just get him in space. And he just kind of can make things happen. He's, you know, some guys can bounce off him. He's physical, but he can kind of be shifty. The fact that he's a running back and a good running back, like a silky, there was a nine yard run for the touchdown thing in the third quarter that just like, it looked like guys just melted off of him. Like it wasn't even, he wasn't even like running over guys. It just looks like guys were like falling, like slipping through. It was very, and I don't, I don't want to be too hyperbolic here, but it was very Barry Sanders-esque, right? Where it's just like, he just looked like he had grease on him. It's like everybody just kind of slipping away. Again, like you mentioned, we don't get that type of run, those type of runs anymore. You get the guys that are just running through people. You get the 
the very physical, it seems like we've gone very binary with running backs. Either you're this or you're that. And he is a blend that, you know, you kind of miss. We kind of, I definitely miss seeing more in college and football in general. So yeah, he's, he's a pleasure. He only had 10 carries. Um, but I, I think that's more than what you, what we wanted. Like, I think honestly, 10 carries, 71 yards. And the fact that we had this much to say about him off of those is, is a lot. So. And, and he had three catches for 40 yards and a touchdown. Like he's Marshall Falk, you know, like. Yes. Like, yes. That is a great, God, it's a great comparison. Yes. He just, he's just a, he's a throwback running back that would work in any uh, era. And he'd be like Heisman trophy favorite if we weren't in the co- quarterback dominant modern era. Right. Like he's, sure. he's like the guy that used to be on Madden covers. He's Emmett Smith. He's Marshall Falk. He's like those guys, you know, and. Uh, you just don't get that much anymore because he played linebacker or safety or, you know, like you said, slot receiver or something like that. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's – to me, for my money, he's the most entertaining player to watch in this state. Yeah, I think for sure. All right, moving on, we talked about UTSA. We talked about AM. Let's talk about one more debut, quote-unquote debut behind center. Baylor, let's go with Baylor 69, Albany 10. I think that was straight up everything I wanted to see from this Baylor offense. We did not expect Albany to be in this game at all. They weren't. Blake Shapin looked fantastic. 17 of 20, 214, two touchdowns. Had an incredible throw, uh, I believe, in the second drive of the game that set up another score. We even saw Kyron Drones. Shout out Shadow Creek. I've been wanting to see him uh, for a while. And he saw him 5 of 700 yards through the air. They ran the ball 41 times, 259, seven touchdowns on the ground. Obviously, Albany never got anything going on offense. I think actually had one score in the first quarter. But still, if you're Baylor, I think that was exactly what you wanted from this debut. Look solid, look fluid, and look basically look like the offense you hope to see when you name Blake Shapin the quarterback, right? He threw a pass from, like, the opposite hash to the opposite sideline early in the game and it was like oh Baylor didn't even try that last year right you know that that wasn't even in the Baylor offense last year because Gary Bohannon couldn't do it there's a lot of things Gary Bohannon did really well but he just he couldn't make all the throws in the the passing tree you know Blake Shapin can and it was very clear early on like oh that's why Blake Shapin won this quarterback job because he opens up this offense in a way that it just couldn't last year you add in that wide zone rushing attack we talked about it on the preview uh, pie, like I think that running game is going to be just as good as it was last year. Even if there isn't an Abram Smith in there to get to 1,600 yards, uh, they're going to average a lot of yards per carry this year. They averaged 6.3 against Albany with seven touchdowns. So I think they're going to be pretty good. That defense, the defense was so good, it was hard to even get a read on what they're doing. You know, like you couldn't sure. even like really break anything down because Albany couldn't get past the line of scrimmage to even see what the linebackers were going to do. You know, I think the leading tackler had like four tackles because everything was just happening right around the line of scrimmage. So uh, a dominant performance for Baylor and it should have been. Um, and so everything's rolling, rolling good against, uh, or again, for, for Dave Aranda and company. Yeah. I think the one, the one touchdown came, I remember it was on a, a 1v1, you know, wide receiver just happened to get by the Baylor. Uh, corner, I forgot who it was, but there was no safety help and just, you know, threw a good pass. I don't know. It was a really good, uh, a really good design on their part. But yeah, there was the one throw that just stood out to me was I think he, Blake Shapin, I think he came late in the first half and Blake Shapin was like near midfield and just like floated all the way. I couldn't remember who it was, but he just floated an effortless pass in stride. You're like, ah, like you mentioned, it was like, that's why that's why like I think Gary Pan could have made that pass like in terms of like strength but like I don't know if you put the touch on it the right the right level of drop it just worked and you're like ah that's it yep all right we're done here you know that's all I needed to see I think that's when I stopped watching that game because I was like we're good that's that's all I need you know um yeah if you're a Baylor fan you got to be really happy with how that debut went you know obviously these games are they're they're money games they're they're games that you know, it's, it's glor- these are the type of games that are glorified spring games, right? It's competitive. It's somebody else that's willing to hit you a lot harder than your own teammate, but they're here to set up to when you go to Provo next week against a number 25 BYU. And that's something that I'm really interested in seeing. Like, how does this offense look when they play a team, a ranked team that's well into, uh, uh, that's well into the era of Kalani Sataki, right? And how do they respond with a lot of new faces on that team? Um, 
and how do they respond to some adversity in a hostile environment. So, but overall, hell of a job, Baylor. Um, also, Jeff Grimes is probably will not be there next year because <laughs> that offense looks so good. And he's, he better be getting a head coaching job. Uh, all right. So that'll do it. Houston's top, still top of the power pole. And we talked about them with UTSA. Week one in the books, everybody's played. Now we start getting into drawing some real conclusions with these teams next week. You know, we'll, we'll see how much have these money games, these kind of weird soft games. Um, yeah, I don't know. All over college football, it seemed like something was happening. Not much in this state was happening, unfortunately, with like competitive games aside from UTSA, Houston. But it was nice to kind of see my timeline, regardless of who we were covering. Something was happening, right? Like App State was on the verge of beating UNC. Uh, ECU was on the verge of beating NC State. So it was just it, it, it reminded me what I loved about this sport, just seeing constantly all over the country, something going on. Oh, Florida's beating Utah in the swamp. Like, I don't know. It was really cool to be like, ah, oh, now we're back, right? Nebraska's about to really lose back. to an FCS team at home. Exactly. We're, everything's back to normal. It's great, right? <laughs> <laughs> back to normal. <laughs> and uh, business picks, picks up for us next week. Like, here's the four, here's the four top games for, for us next, next week. Houston mm-hmm. goes to Tech. Mm-hmm. Bangers, right? Oof. Yes. UTSA goes to Army. That's going to be Bangers. pretty good. Texas hosts Bama. Maybe not a great game, but a very great storyline. Hey, 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 they announced that Flo Rida will be pregame show. So, hey, yeah. College game day will be there. You know, Saban's going to be in the house. You know, he yep. almost bought a house in Austin, right? According to reports about a decade ago. So, like, he finally mm-hmm. gets to, to coach in DKR. Uh, yep. First time that those two teams have played since Colt McCoy hurt his, injury, hurt his shoulder, you know, so a lot of storylines there. And then Baylor at BYU is like sneaky awesome mm-hmm. game that people are going to forget about, you know, except for in Waco or whatever going into the next week. So uh, this week was a lot of blowouts, you know, other than the Houston UTSA game, I don't think there was a single game within 10 points um, right. in the state. Um, you know, sometimes it was the Texas teams blowing out teams. Sometimes it was the Texas team getting blown out. Next week should be a much more competitive week where we learn a lot about the top teams in the state. Well, how about the, how about these games too? Because you'd listed those. UTEP, New Mexico State, rivalry game. Here's one that got really interesting this weekend. AM versus Appalachian State. Oof. Hmm. 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 Again, App State was were two two-point so conversions away from beating UNC. Mm-hmm. That is a good, damn good program. AM, we we talked about having some questions. That's not a team that you can have questions against. You have to be ready. And luckily, again, luckily the defense looks fine. So probably going to be good. But that is going to be a fun game that we will definitely talk about this week. And, of course, a game that all of a sudden has a lot of implications. FIU goes to Texas State to play in San Marcos. So a lot to talk about this week. We'll do it Wednesday. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mallory. I'm Ishmael Johnson. Remember, we have talked to 12 of the eventual 13 FBS head coaches on here. Shout out Sam Houston State. Jimbo Fisher, give us a call. Go Rutgers.